This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And Ben, there have been a lot of developments this week in the larger affordable housing story. And that's a story that often gets very technical, talking about AMI, square footage, FAR, R1 versus R2. But you guys published a piece this week that dealt with some more global issues, you know, fear, money, race. Uh, and it was the article about Donovan Richards and, and his role in this process. Yeah, Council Member Donovan Richards is the chair of the zoning subcommittee of the city council, and he is now front and center in these discussions about the mayor's zoning plans and other elements of the affordable housing plan that the mayor and the city are trying to push through. And Donovan Richards is representative of you know, a variety of communities across the city where people are very afraid of gentrification. These are low-income communities of color often, and people who have seen what's happened in places like Harlem and Bed-Stuy and other places in the city and are worried about uh, as development comes in and as gentrification takes hold, being priced out of their communities. And Donovan Richards has put this issue at the forefront of his advocacy for moving these plans to deeper affordability. Uh, he's worried about his his community in Queens and Far Rockaway and, and elsewhere, and other council members are worried that their communities need to have affordable housing that's affordable to people making minimum wage, making $25,000 a year, uh, families of three where the, the family income is $30,000. Um, so, so he's put that front and center, and he's also bolstered by the fact that the Speaker of the City Council, Melissa Mark Viverito, is also, she represents uh, East Harlem, she represents parts of the South Bronx, and, and she's been also saying that we need to be mindful of A, gentrification, and B, deep affordability for, for people who might not be able to afford market rate rents, which is many, many New Yorkers. Um, so as we see you know, these council members considering how to approach the mayor's plans, you know, a lot of them are very concerned about what's going to happen in my neighborhood over the next few months. And some people are saying, you can't approach zoning that way because this is for decades most likely you know the zoning codes of the city don't change that often so there's a little bit of a tension there with council members worried about their district sort of tomorrow and the bigger picture mm -hmm. that's true and that is interesting uh, facet of the east new york story where this week there was the development of the city planning commission voting to approve uh, that rezoning plan, it now goes to the city council for consideration. And that's an area where th that's the first neighborhood that was targeted by de Blasio for rezoning under the housing plan. And there have been really deep fears about what the effect of that would be. Uh, and there's a, a strong community effort there to propose an alternative plan. But part of the discussion there is about kind of now versus the future. And a lot of people believe that in East New York, there really is no effective market now for market rate housing, that almost everything built during the early years of, of the rezoning or after the rezoning um, would be affordable. And so there's some question about whether that prediction is true and, and then, you know, the long-term impact. I think one of the things that you hit on in that piece and is so important is this discussion of fear and, and fear of change. And I think some people paint the folks who are skeptical about the rezonings as being kind of irrationally afraid of change. Um, and others who are on that side say there's nothing irrational about it. You know, we, we know that the city is going to change. We know neighborhoods often there's an ethnic succession from one group to the next. The difference this time is that we feel people are being priced out rather than moving to the suburbs or moving up. Uh, and that's a fear that I think we see in East Harlem as well, where there were other developments this week. 
Yeah, so as you said, East New York is the first neighborhood rezoning plan moving ahead. Now East Harlem is coming up as one of the next batch of, of plans. And again, that's where the Speaker of the City Council represents the area. And proactively, she has led a major community planning process to put forward their vision for the rezoning of that neighborhood ahead of the city plan, which is a, a sort of a novel approach. Um, and they put out their plan this week. The speaker uh, gave a speech at a Crane's uh, business breakfast and, and outlined not only what they want to see in East Harlem for deeper levels of affordability and community improvements, but also as sort of a model for how communities can push the process as opposed to leaving it to the mayoral administration, which often is not as in touch with the ground, so to speak. Um, and in both cases, we're talking about neighborhood plans that come in on top of the zoning changes that the mayor's looking to make, otherwise known as MIH, mandatory inclusionary housing. And, you know, this is where, as you mentioned, HPD, the mayoral, you know, the city agency that comes in with deep subsidies looks to create this affordable housing that is not about market rate. That's right. I think in East Harlem, the proposal is for 50-50 that the units be split between market rate and affordable, uh, which is a similar uh, uh, approach to what's been proposed by the community in East New York. Um, and pushing the affordable you know, deeper, the question becomes one of resources for HPD, how much they can afford to subsidize because everything they subsidize is affordable. And HPD, I think, is dealing with kind of demands on its powers and authority and resources from a number of different angles, not just the housing plan, but in some of its regulatory activity. And that came up at a city council hearing on Monday where no fewer than four bills were discussed um, that would impose on HPD um, new duties related to empowering tenants dealing with landlords that are not treating them very well. You know, there was a, a bill proposed by Brad Lander to require that if you're going to alter or demolish a building, you get a certificate of no harassment um, based on the, the experiences of your tenants. Uh, Richie Torres has a bill that would empower tenants to go to housing court with an underlying conditions claim, um, a bid for a new ho affordable housing portal, um, a requirement that you cannot uh, alter your building if you have a certain number of violations per unit. And HPD's response uh, to most of them was that they wanted to achieve the aims there, but they were concerned about what impact those bills would have on their own ability to do all the different jobs they have to do, and on, you know, the, the, the kind of the road-facing developers and putting up obstacles to development in a city where the money aside, it is difficult to build. There's a lot of permitting involved. And I think what both sides there seem to be stressing is an ability or a willingness to work together. Um, and I think one of the elements that comes up there is that um, HPD is dealing not just with creating new housing, but obviously with trying to hang on to what we have. That's what tenant empowerment is about, is making sure that affordable housing isn't lost to people being evicted or apartments becoming too run down. And that's a bigger picture in this affordable housing discussion, and it's one, the preservation side doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah, and, you know, I had, uh, for a piece we're working on at Gotham Gazette about preservation of affordable housing, which gets lost in this discussion because everybody's concerned, rightfully, about all these new towers going up, right? We've seen that during the Bloomberg years, just this building boom, and it's continued now under de Blasio, and people are concerned about that. But 
a huge part bigger than the new building portion of de Blasio's housing plan is the preservation. And that is where the city comes in to make sure that units of housing that are currently rent regulated stay rent regulated. So they stay under some affordability restrictions for tenants. And in conversations with officials at HPD, they outlined for me, they outlined for me the um, measures that they're taking to track units that might be coming out of affordability. And they say they've heightened those to a large degree from what their predecessors were doing, that they are tracking any units where the terms might be coming up and expiring, where they can come in and they can say to landlords, what can we offer? What can we help you with where you'll agree to extend the terms of the affordability here? And I think one reason preservation is so important uh, and one reason it's the bigger part of the mayor's housing plan. I think the mayor's 200,000 units involves 80,000 new construction and 120,000 of preservation is that it's it's much cheaper. It's much more cost effective to spend money to keep people in the, the apartments where they are now than to try to build a new and encounter, you know, all of the opposition that the rezonings are encountering. Absolutely. And I think so. I think as this all moves forward and we watch these neighborhood by neighborhood plans, the preservation element, what's already in East New York, what's already in East Harlem, what's already in the Bronx, uh, portions of Staten Island, Flushing, Queens, where they're going into rezone, what's already there under re affordability restrictions that they're going to try to keep affordable will be very important to watch.